If you're not already there, please turn in your Bibles to the 107th Psalm. Psalm 107. The title of this message is, God Saves Those at Rock Bottom. The call of this text is, think deeply about the steadfast love of the Lord and thank him for it. To do so is true wisdom. Rock bottom, when you're at the lowest level possible. You've lost all hope, reached your breaking point, overwhelmed, discouraged, and depressed. When you have come to the end of yourself, and it appears there is none to help, no solution in sight, no recourse, have you been there? Are you at rock bottom even this morning? As we will see today, the steadfast love of the Lord is uniquely on display in how he saves people at rock bottom. Let's get into our text. Verses 1 through 3. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. The psalmist is calling us to thank the Lord. As we've been seeing in Exodus, this is the Lord in all uh, capital, uh, small letters referring to the name Yahweh, the eternal, self existent God who is faithful to keep his promises, he is the only true God. And he is personal. Why should we thank him? Because he is good. God is by nature good. This is perhaps the most fundamental reality in all the universe. God is good. He is God, he's in control of all, he's almighty, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he is good. In him there is no shadow, no darkness at all. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. This is who God is. And out of his goodness he acts. He acts in steadfast love. That is to say, his unfailing love, his unchanging love, faithful love, trustworthy love, covenant love, unshakable love. Steadfast love is the Lord's unwavering commitment to do good to those who are his own. This commitment to do good is active. Steadfast love is a love that intervenes. It reaches down, and it rescues and saves and changes things when change is so desperately needed. God, in his steadfast love, will do whatever it takes to secure the ultimate and final happiness and blessedness of those that he has chosen to belong to himself. 
and it endures forever. It never ends. If God has committed to love you in a covenant relationship, then he will love you forever. Wow, that sounds amazing. How can I know if God loves me in this way? If you're in Christ, then this is indeed the love that he has for you. And so throughout this psalm, we are called to consider the steadfast love of the Lord and to thank him for it. As we shall see, there is ample reason to thank him. As verse 2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. What should those who have been redeemed by him do? They should indeed thank him because of this great deliverance that he has wrought on their behalf. Dead in transgressions and sins and made alive together with God. On the way to hell and their eternal destiny forever altered and changed to be brought to God's kingdom to live with him forever. Oh, we ought to praise him and thank him for this. In the English Standard Version, it is translated, whom he has redeemed from trouble. In the Hebrew, it says redeemed from the adversary, and this is evident in some of the other translations. Whether the author had in mind Satan or whether he had in mind bondage to evil opponents under, under the influence of Satan and his world system, or just more general opposition, regardless, we know that every true child of God was once a follower of the devil, as it says in Ephesians 2, but Yahweh is the redeeming God that purchases us from the slavery of sin to be his, to be free. To be free from sin, to have life. And so let the redeemed of the Lord give thanks to him. Let them say that his steadfast love endures forever. The immediate context of this psalm is following the Babylonian captivity. And that is evident in that verse 3, this gathering in from the lands is a direct answer to a prayer found in Psalm 106, which was written from the context of captivity. Psalm 106, verse 47 says this, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations, that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your praise. So that's the immediate context of this. And yet we know that God's salvation and his plan has always been global and his heart has always been for the nations. And so it's amazing to see how Jesus uses very, very similar language, almost the exact same language in Luke chapter 13, 29, where he says, and people will come from east and west and from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. 
What is this kingdom citizenry, these people that belong to his kingdom? Well, they are those who are his. They are those that he has chosen and that he has delivered, those that he has redeemed. And indeed, his salvation is expansive and it goes to all generations and to every corner of the globe. Every language, people, nation, tribe will praise him. It's interesting to note that east, west, north, south are four categories. And as we're about to see, there are four portraits or four pictures, four types of people and four circumstances that Yahweh delivers them from. And just as is true that every sinner has a unique story, uh, every redeemed sinner has a unique story, they all, we also all have a common thread in our story of how God has saved us. And we will see that in these four types, these four pictures, these four portraits that we're going to see. And so our second point is marvel at the steadfast love of the Lord to save sinners at rock bottom. The first subheading for this section is the Lord saves wanderers, verses 4 through 9. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. So who are these, these wanderers? Well, they're people who are lost. They have no way. They don't know where to go. They're spinning in circles. They're terribly lost. And oh, it's a bad feeling to even be lost physically and to not where you're going. Panic can seep in. But how much worse to be lost with no direction in your life. And perhaps you're a believer today, and you've been straying from the good way, and you're lost. Or perhaps you're an unbeliever, and you have never encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you have been lost and wandering your whole life. Perhaps you've been seeking for truth. Perhaps you've been seeking for fulfillment and satisfaction, seeking for direction and purpose, and yet you're lost. Such are these people described here. And not only are they lost, but they're lonely. They're away from an inhabited city. They're away, away and separate from where there is life and vitality. They're terribly lonely. And it's possible to have many people around you and yet to be terribly lonely. Lastly, these people are not only lost and lonely, but they're destitute. They're lacking basic needs. They're hungry and thirsty. And their soul fainted within them. They have no strength left to keep on going. And perhaps that's how you feel, or you've been here, where just your soul had no strength left. 
And most of us don't know what it means to be physically hungry and thirsty. And yet, every believer, as we will see later on, has been hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And so this is the case of these miserable, poor people. They're lost. They have no guide. They're at rock bottom. Their soul is fainting within them. Then, verse 6, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. This anguish, this pain, this distress, this consternation and anxiety that they were just enveloped in. He delivers them from it. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. They had no direction and he gave it to them and he led them all the way there. This is what Yahweh, the Lord, the one true God is in the business of doing. Verse 8, let them thank the Lord. It's the only proper response. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous deeds to the children of man. Oh, it is a wondrous thing when he rescues those who are at rock bottom with their souls fainting within them. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Indeed, not only does he save them from the distress, but he brings them into a place of blessing. And we know great eternal blessing is coming. And yet this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's eternal life to know him. And though this life is hard, when we know him, we're possessing eternal life now. And that's why I can see in some of your faces heavenly, otherworldly joy. And so that's the first portrait, the first picture, the first type of person that God saves. His salvation is not limited to, you know, certain personality types. It's not like, oh, that person like has the God gene and they're just wired that way. No, God saves all types and kinds of people, all types and kinds of personalities. And from all types and kinds of circumstances. And so we move on to the next one. The Lord saves rebels. Verses 10 through 16. Some sat in darkness... And in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. Why? For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. And so their rebellion, it's led them to a place of darkness. They're alive, but their existence is more death than life. There's a reason people are afraid of the dark and how much worse to have darkness in your soul.
prisoners, slaves to sin. This is where we're at apart from God's intervention, his intervening steadfast love. Their lives are characterized by rebellion. They hear God's words and they say, no, I'm going to do it my own way. And spurn the counsel of the Most High. The Most High, the one who has created all, the one who is wisdom and knows what is best. They say, "Uh, I don't want his advice. I don't want his counsel. I don't care what his Bible says. I'm just going to live my life my own way. And yet, those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so, whether you belong to Jesus and you just don't know it yet, and you feel these chains, you feel this darkness, or whether you are a believer and you've been straying from the Lord and running from him and rebelling against him for a time, He loves you too much to just let you go. He will bring hard labor. He will make your life miserable ultimately so you get to this rock bottom point and cry out to him. Because he loves you and he wants what's ultimately for your best. And so, hard labor... They're working and they're working and life is just drudgery and a grind and there's no joy and no happiness and no rest. And it's just an endless cycle of pain and of dullness. That's where these people are at. To the point that they fell down with none to help. Rock bottom, giving up. Lost all strength. Verse 13. Then. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. The question is not, will God deliver? The question is, will you cry out to him? He is so willing. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Oh, you who are believers, can you remember those of you who were at this rock bottom point and the Lord saved you and he bid the darkness go and you felt the light and the peace and the rest in your soul? He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. The slavery to sin removed. Now the power to say no to sin. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Sin promises freedom. Do things your own way. That's true freedom. No, that's a lie from the devil who's been lying from the beginning. True freedom is to do things God's way. And he bursts their bonds apart. 
And so what's the only proper response? Verse 15, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. It's a marvelous thing how he saves sinners at rock bottom. Oh, how critical it is that we give thanks to him. And, and we know, those of us who have been filled with thankfulness to the Lord, how joy and thanksgiving just go hand in hand. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts in two the bars of iron. That which is otherwise an immovable obstacle, he shatters. He is mighty to save. And as entrenched in the slavery of sin as you might be, whatever sin it is, it all boils down to rebellion against the words of God. And he is mighty to save. Verse 17, we come to our next type. The Lord saves fools. These people are sick and on their deathbeds because that's where their sin has led them. Verse 17, some were fools through their sinful ways and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. Why are they suffering? Because of their iniquities, because of their guilty actions. That's why they're suffering. They loathed any kind of food and they drew near to the gates of death. Why are they here? Because they've been living hedonistically. They've been living for their own pleasure. They're just doing whatever feels good. They know it's wrong, and yet they keep doing it. Perhaps no one else knows, and yet they're indulging in it. And it has brought them to death's door. And this is what headlong pursuit after sin will do. We know the wages of sin is death. And it's ultimately the reason that we're all going to die one day unless the Lord comes. They're so miserable because of the consequences of their sin. And, And you see this, whether it's with alcoholism, drug addiction, the suffering from STDs, Those are some of the more obvious things when you rebel against God's counsel, when you pursue your own pleasure contrary to God's will. But it can bring you to a point where even God's good gifts like food are no longer enjoyable. And sin takes and takes and takes, and it will always ask for more the next time. And yet it will never satisfy Such is the case with the fear of man, wanting the approval of others, just wanting to be liked so much. And you can just be in turmoil, just being obsessed with how other people think about you. And all you want is for them to like you, and it'll bring you to a terrible place. Verse 19, Then... Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Again, all types and kinds of people, if they will cry to him, he delivers. 
he sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. There is no healing spiritually. There is no salvation apart from the word of God. And as Peter says in 1 Peter 1.25, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. What is the good news? It's the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for sinners. That any sinner who would come to him, he will gladly receive. All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's the greatest news in the world. And as you see here, Verse 20, and deliver them from their destruction or save them from their corruptions. Not only will he save you from the penalty that your sin deserves, which is a hell sentence. But he'll save you from your corrupted nature. He'll save you from your evil heart. He'll save you from your sin. His word does this. His word will renew you day by day until one day you will see the Lord Jesus with your eyes physically and you will be made like him and all traces of sin will be no more. This is true freedom. This is true joy. This is true health. Verse 21, let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love. And for his wondrous works to the children of man. And let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in songs of joy. This is the only right response. And when we sing, oh, may we sing like we mean it. May we sing from our hearts, not with our words only. And I'm, it's such a blessing to hear that. He's so worthy of it. So very worthy. To quote James Montgomery Boyce, how can we sacrifice thank offerings to God today? Of course, no sacrificial system. The only possible answer is by offering God ourselves. The Apostle Paul wrote, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Nothing less than the offer of our complete selves is adequate. This is true Christianity. This is what it is to know Jesus. You've offered yourself to him completely. And it's the only right response if he has saved you. Moving to the fourth portrait, the Lord saves the helpless. These people are at their wit's end. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. 
You can think of some sailors. They're out at sea and there's a storm. Perhaps strong men, strong-willed, and yet they're finding very quickly that they're not as strong as they thought they were. They are at the mercy of the waves, of this storm that God, who is in control of all, has brought, brought about. Perhaps they were self-reliant people, and yet all this self-reliance is being shown to be for nothing. They're so distressed, so perplexed, so desperate, and they're staggering around like drunken men, and yet there's no solution in sight. All that they're doing, it's not accomplishing anything, and they're doing all that they can do. They're trying everything, and there is just no recourse, and they are desperate. They realize they are utterly helpless. And where does this lead them? Verse 28, then. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. God heard their cries, and he delivered wondrously. Just as Jesus, God the Son, when he was here among us, how he hushed the storm in an instant, so, so he did now from heaven with these, with these sailors. And... You might feel like there's a storm raging in your soul. You feel tossed to and fro. Your mind is just spinning. You know nowhere to just put a stake in the ground. Just You're unstable. Well, Jesus Christ alone can speak forth a word and bring peace to your troubled heart. He alone brings true peace. And not only does he deliver them from the distress, but he brings them to where they wanted to go. He brings them to a good place. Brings them to a safe place. Oh, he's so good. They were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Again, it's the only proper response. God saves the helpless, those who cannot save themselves. He doesn't save those who can pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. He saves the helpless. He saves those who cry out to him in complete desperation. It continues... Verse 32, let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. 
And so this praise, this thanksgiving for the Lord's wondrous deliverance, his wonderful intervention in their lives, it can't be bottled up and it can't be kept private. If the Lord has delivered you, delivered you, you have to speak about it. You got to tell others. Praise and thanksgiving are not only personal relationships with God. It's with God's people that we thank him. Again, let them extol him in the congregation of the people. It's with God's people, the gathering of God's people. And praise him in the assembly of the elders. Again, it's just the same point stated in a, in a different way. It's in the assembly of his people. And so, this verse very clearly corrects anyone who would say, oh, my relationship with God is just between me and him, and, and that's all. I don't go to church, or, or I just worship online. No, we must give thanks to him with his people. That's what we're made for. It's the only right response. At this point, as a really clear and practical application, if you are a believer who has been saved from this greatest distress, share it with other believers. Share your testimony. It's a great way to establish a deep bond and to really get to know someone. Share how God saved you from your sin and all the circumstances that he worked through. And don't only, show, don't only share your capital T testimony, but also share your little t testimonies. All the different circumstances that God has brought you through. All those troubles and distresses that you were worried you were just not going to make it out of, and he delivered again. All the answered prayers. Tell others about it and thank him together. It's so right. It's so good. Let's be a church who thanks Yahweh together. And now moving to our next section. Understand the sovereignty and selectivity of steadfast love. And so here in verses 33 through 42, there are just two main principles that we're going to look at for time's sake. I believe these are the main points of this section of the psalm. First, he is sovereign. God is in control of everything. He's in control to give and take away. Both that which is hard and that which is obviously good and a blessing come from God. Just listen from this passage how God is the great director in it all. God is the one doing it all. He's the actor. And so listen, verse 33, he turns rivers into a desert. And that's, that's bad. Rivers being turned into a desert. Springs of water into a thirsty ground. Again, not an overtly good thing. Verse 34, a fruitful land into a salty waste. Again, that's bad because of the evil of its inhabitants. Why? Because of the evil of its inhabitants as discipline or even judgment. 
Verse 35, again, God is the actor. He turns a desert into pools of water, a parched land into springs of water, and there he lets the hungry dwell. Who's doing it all? It's all him. It's all God. And they establish a city to live in. They sow fields and plant vineyards and get a fruitful yield. They're blessed beyond measure. Verse 38, by his blessing, they multiply greatly, and he does not let their livestock diminish. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, evil, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. But he raises up, again, he raises up the needy out of affliction and makes their families like flocks. And so... God is sovereign, and and he works his steadfast love according to the counsel of his will. He is free in doing so. And this truth in light of the whole psalm is that whether he gives or he takes away, He brings prosperity or he brings trial. Whether he brings you to rock bottom or he lifts you out of it, God does it all in steadfast love toward his own. Notice I qualify that statement by saying his own. It's only for those who belong to him. On whom does his steadfast love rest? This leads us to the second principle of this portion of the text, namely the selectivity of steadfast love. Steadfast love is not for everyone. So whom does the Lord choose? Yahweh chooses those who are needy. Because as we've seen in this psalm, it is only the needy, as we can see there in verse 41, but he raises up the needy out of affliction. And what are they characterized by? Affliction. So they're needy, they're afflicted, Verse 36, they were hungry, and there he lets the hungry dwell. Who is it that God sets his steadfast love upon? Again, it's the, those who can't help themselves and who cry out. Unsurprisingly, Jesus in naming the first four qualities of a true citizen of heaven, right, one who belongs to heaven and is going there, what are the qualities that make up such a person? Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn. Why are they mourning? Because of sin and the sorrow that it brings. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, the humble, the broken, the lowly, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. As we've seen throughout this psalm, it's the same language. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall see, for they shall be satisfied. And so God gives grace to the humble, but not only does he give grace to the humble, but he does oppose the proud. Verse 40, he pours contempt on princes and makes them wander in trackless wastes. And so, if you refuse to humble yourself, if you say, ah, I've got this, I don't really need God, I can get to heaven by just being a good person, 
I can live this life on my own. I can call the shots. I can be the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. Well, he opposes the proud. And judgment awaits such people. And so, when we see God extend his mercy and compassion to the poor and to the needy, we praise him and we are glad. We think it's glorious. That's, that's how they conclude. The upright see it and are glad and all wickedness shuts its mouth. No one is going to doubt God's righteous judgment. It is right that he helps those who cry out to him, and that he judges those who oppose him in their pride. And so the conclusion of this psalm, verse 43, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. That is what we've done throughout this sermon. We've thought about how God in his committed love intervenes for the good of poor sinners who don't deserve it. It is so good and wise to consider the way God operates and and how his steadfast love works. It'll lead you to trust him more deeply because you know he's working all things together for your good. You will trust him more deeply and you will thank him in all circumstances because you know that he's got a good plan. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Think about how the Lord has brought you through dangers, all the ways in which you could have fallen to sin and God kept you, all the physical protection, all the toils, all the hard work and the labors he has sustained you through. When you thought you had no strength left to keep going, you cried out to him and he strengthened you again. Think about how he's brought you through such things and how he's going to do it again. This is his steadfast love and this is how it operates. If you understand where steadfast love has brought you thus far, you will trust it for the future. Lastly, Why is it that the Lord always saves rebellious sinners when they cry out to him? Like, they don't deserve it. They've been rejecting him. They've been spurning him. And yet, why is he so gracious to do it? He's so gracious to do it because God the Son on that cross, oh, we scarce can take it in. On that cross, He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out and was not met with deliverance. Truly, we scarce can take it in, cannot fathom it. And he did it on our behalf so that when we cry out to him, the Lord always hear us hears us. He will always hear your cries because that's what Jesus died for. And of course, the answer is not always instantaneous, but in his good time, he will answer and he will deliver.
And he is not dead, is he? But he is risen. So let us give thanks to him that he was willing to undergo such distress, such pain for our sin so that we might cry out to him and be delivered and then give thanks to him forever. For he is good, for his steadfast love, which is upon us now, will never, ever end. Let us pray.